that, welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series uh, in the letter to the Corinthians. The series is entitled Strength and Weakness, so pretty hilarious to me here. Uh, and it's Paul laying down a theology of suffering because the Corinthians would see me sitting down right now as weakness and they would say, we don't want to hear from you. You're not a real pastor. You're not a real minister because you're sick or you're hurting. And they got it totally wrong. A lot of people get that wrong. Uh, what they missed and what Paul was trying to tell them is actually it's in weakness that Christ came to die for our sins and he rose in strength, but he came as a suffering servant, and they hated that, and they, they did not like the doctrine of the suffering of Christ. They didn't want to suffer. Corinth was a beautiful city. It was a lot like Miami. It was a port city. It was a wealthy city. It was a sensual city. Uh, it was South Beach on steroids, and so Paul comes in as this weak, suffering man uh, who admits his faults, and they said, oh, no, 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 we're going to go after these other apostles who were false apostles. So the entire letter is written, 2 Corinthians, to call them to be reconciled first to God, but the sign of that is to be reconciled to Paul as God's minister, as God's representative. Today's message is entitled, Ministers of Reconciliation. Ministers of Reconciliation. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5. Verses 11 through 6-2. Ministers of reconciliation. What is reconciliation? What is a minister of reconciliation? Well, here's what reconciliation is, my friends. In a time where we have more alienation, separation, hatred, hostility, bitterness, estrangement, we need reconciliation. We need ministers of reconciliation. And as Christians, we understand that that rec reconciliation has a ground zero. And the ground zero of that reconciliation is God reconcil reconciling us to himself. What we experience just now in communion is a picture of this. God reconciling us to himself is the beginning of reconciliation. And we're going to see here that God then uses us as ministers of that reconciliation. But listen, that reconciliation, it moves to relationships, it moves to families, it moves to schools, it moves to communities, it moves to uh, workplaces. We're so alienated today, aren't we? Husbands and wives are experiencing alienation. Brothers and sisters are experiencing alienation and separation. Whole communities are being shattered over issues, whether political or racial, justice issues, economic issues. Man, we seem to be alienated on everything. And we need reconciliation. As human beings, we're being wearied and exhausted by the alienation that we're experiencing. It started with COVID. I mean, when you're at home, you feel alienated, don't you? No sin there. It's just the way it is. But then with all of the stuff that's been happening, there's this alienation. People who used to be able to get along with each other suddenly can't. And we're crying out for reconciliation. And here's the good news. God reconciled us to him in Christ and he's going to be talking here about us being ministers of reconciliation. But before we get to that, I want to give you the background. 
Because this letter was written to bring reconciliation. Paul was alienated from the church in Corinth that he planted. There was alienation there because they had gone after a false apostles, a false gospel. And Paul is crying out to them. Paul is saying, be reconciled to God. And if you are, you'll be reconciled to me because I'm his representative. And that's the argument, one of the arguments he's making to the original audience here in this text this morning. In fact, look at it with me. 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through verses 11 to 13. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So Paul is saying, we fear God, now we're going to persuade you. I want to persuade you, church, to be reconciled to me, not because it's about me, but because the gospel I'm preaching is the true gospel. You're going after a false gospel, and as you're reconciled to me in this gospel, you're being reconciled to God. We persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. He's saying, you know who we are. You you know who we are, and God knows who we are. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. He's calling out these false apostles who are all about image. They're all about branding. You know those people that carefully curate their online presence? So they produce an image to you of a life that is a bunch of baloney. The three seconds they're happy are the three seconds they take the picture. And they curate that. That's what today's all about. Branding, online branding, online imaging. The apostles back then, that's what they were all about. Image is everything. And they were South Florida to the max. Your life could be an absolute mess, but if your car looks good, you just got it detailed, you got $400 shoes, you got the nice chains going, you have the perfect haircut, right? And you're miserable. And you're broke, because all that stuff costs a lot of money. Got the perfect rims, whatever it is. And, And Paul is calling them out. He's saying, those are false apostles. They boast about outward, but not about inward. We're all about inward. Verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. All Paul is saying there is, I am beside myself privately to God in prayer, crying out, oh God, bring reconciliation. I'm praying like a crazy person privately to God that he would reconcile us in Christ. You might be praying like that. I know I'm praying like that about a couple of people that are alienated from me because they've departed the gospel. But he says, when I'm I'm with you, I'm in my right mind. I want to share the gospel. So that's the background. Now, how do we apply it to today? What is God saying to us in the 21st century? Here's what I think God's word is to you, my friend. God is speaking to you right now. Please see the finger of God behind me pointing at you. Please hear the voice of God behind me speaking to you. And this is what I think God is saying to you on the screen. We are God's ministers of reconciliation. We are God's ministers of reconciliation. Now, how can that be, Al? 
Well, the reason that that can be, the reason we can be empowered to be ministers of God's reconciliation or God's ministers of reconciliation in a time of such great alienation and separation is because God gives us two amazing gospel truths in this text. I would say to you that these two truths, these two gospel truths in this text, make the top 10 list of any gospel truths list. In fact, I think they make the top five. I would argue that one of them is the top. So like, I don't know if you like top 10 lists. I do. I love to watch sports. I like it when they put the top 10 lists on ESPN. It's always great. I look forward to it. And the top 10 plays of the day. And usually the top one is amazing. We've got the top 10 here of gospel truths that empower you, my friend, to be a minister of reconciliation. You may not feel like you can be. You may feel weak. You may feel alienated. You may feel the separation. You may feel like, man, I'm engulfed in all this, Al. But God, through these gospel truths, is fashioning you and empowering you to be a minister of reconciliation. And oh, do we need reconciliation. Let me be clear. It starts with reconciliation to God. But then it moves out to reconciliation with one another. Every alienation, every separation on earth has as its foundation an alienation and a separation with God. When there's a problem here, there's going to be problems here. And you fix the problems here with the problem here. You put a Band-Aid on it if you don't deal with this problem. You fix it if you deal with this problem. All right, so here are the two top ten, I argue top five, maybe even number one, Gospel truths that empower us to be ministers of reconciliation. Number one, Christ's love controls us. Christ's love controls us. Let's read together 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. On the screen, for the love of Christ controls us because... We have concluded this, that one has died for all. That one is Jesus. And the all are all his elect. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is top ten. Jesus on the cross died for all of his people to set them free from Satan, from sin, from death, he died and rose, and from self. What? Yes, from self. Jesus died to set us free from the tyranny of Satan, from the bondage of sin, from the fear of death and the bondage of death, and from the bondage of self. Because from the beginning, at its core, sin is selfish. Sin is anti-relational. Sin is anti-relational. Sin is all about me. I could care less about you. I'm going to do me. If you like me, great. In fact, I demand you to like me. I demand you to agree with me. And if you don't, I'll either X you out, I'll take you out, or I'll just curse you out. Or all three at the same time. So so Jesus died and was raised to set us free from that tyranny. This is a cornerstone gospel truth. It dates back to Egypt 
when God delivered Israel from Pharaoh, a picture of Satan, and from bondage in Egypt, a picture of sin and and the bondage of sin, and from death as they went through the waters. And David so greatly preached when they were going through the waters that could crush them in the Red Sea. And the waters are just going like that. We saw those waters on Saturday. And they walked through those waters. And he led them like a little lamb through death. And waters is a picture of baptism out into the promised land. And delivering them from self as well. Jesus died and rose from the dead. And that is the proof of his love for us. Look again at verse 14. I want to be very clear with this. Put it on the screen. For the love of Christ controls us. What does that mean? Does that mean my love for Christ? No. Look at it carefully. For the love of Christ. It doesn't say for the love for Christ. For the love of Christ. This is a greater truth. This is a top 10 gospel truth. Jesus Christ put his love on you and you did not deserve it. Jesus put his love on you. And that love, according to this text, should control you. And here's the question. Which love, what love controls you? Because there's competing loves. And guess what the biggest competitor for the love of Jesus being on you is? The love of you being on you is. I love me, me. Hey, listen. Ralph, I'm tired of talking about me. Why don't you talk about me for a while? (laughs) When you get a picture, a group picture, and you're in it, who's the first person you look for? Come on. Don't look at me like that, okay? You know it's the truth. We are chronically narcissistic, selfish. But there's a greater love. It's the love of Christ for you when you were not worthy of it, when you were filthy and arrogant and cruel and brutal and violent, when you were an adulterer and a murderer in your heart, when you were unfaithful and a betrayer, when you were a coward Jesus died on the cross for you. And he rose from the dead for you. So may the love of Christ control you. That's how you can be a minister of reconciliation. But let's be honest, there are other loves that compete in our hearts to control us. My love for myself. Listen, you know what can control me? It's, it's your love for me. I can live for your love for me. Rather than being controlled by Christ's love for me, and that should be enough, I've got to have your love for me. And let me tell you something. The love of the world for you, it is fickle and it fades. The love of Jesus for you is faithful and it is forever. Oh, that's good news. There is nothing you can do, Christian, that can void Christ's love for you. No one can snatch you out of his hand. That is the power to change and to be a minister of reconciliation. Paul here says, I live for Jesus because he died for me. Because the love of Christ, his love for me, controls me. I'm controlled by that. Now what does it mean to live for Christ? 
What does it mean to have the love of Christ control you? Well, it can mean a lot of things, but I feel like the Spirit of the Lord dropped one thing into our hearts today. And the reason I said our hearts, because when we prepare sermons, it really is a collaboration. And when Corey's here, Corey and David and I, and Corey's gone, so it's David and I, and I look forward to more men being involved in sermon preparation, but, but just... Okay, Lord, what are you saying 21st century? I know what you said 1st century. We got that. We're tying the scripture into the 1st century argument. We're not straying from it. We're not just pulling this stuff out of the air or from other places, but we're being faithful to scripture. Now, what does it mean to Palm Vista today? Church, here's what I think it means. To be a minister of reconciliation, to engage in real relationships, relationships that are restorative, we've got to be honest. See, if, if, I, if I'm controlled by your love for me, it's hard for me to be honest with you. I'm going to try to figure out and politic and manipulate you. What do you like? What do you want me to say? What's your political view? What football team do you like? Whatever. I mean, it can get stupid, right? And I'm going to like craft my life to, to, so that I get your love. And we walk around wearing these masks. We're not real. We're dishonest. We're not transparent. We're opaque. We're liars and hypocrites. We're two-faced. And we're miserable because we know this isn't right. There's no integrity in that. We politic and do other things that I can't say from the pulpit. You, know, you got me, right? Okay. <laughs> we don't tell the truth. We lie. You cannot have a real relationship without honesty. And you can only be honest if you're secure in Christ's love for you. Because you know that you can be honest because even if you do offend the other person or even if they don't, they walk away from you or they don't accept who you are in Christ, you know that Christ loves you and you're, you're stable in that. It's still going to hurt, but you're honest. Don't you want honesty? I mean, we want honesty in our mechanic, right? For sure. <laughs> but we... We want honesty with one another. I want to know that you are who you say you are, your blemishes and all. Tell me your blemishes. Sometimes the most endearing thing you can do is to be honest about your, your weaknesses. That's what Paul's trying to say to them. Because when I'm weak, I'm strong. And so... We become a church of real relationships, honest relationships, because we, we rest in Christ's love for us. And we're able to be agents of and ministers of reconciliation in a world that is so alienated. Let me read this quote to you. It's a gospel quote from Scott Heffman in his commentary on these, on these verses. This, then, is the gospel in a nutshell. And if you're not a Christian, gospel is the key. You're going to hear a second truth of the gospel, and I pray God save you through these. But this is so true, Christian, or non-Christian, and I respect you for being here or watching. This, then, is the gospel in a nutshell. The basis of the gospel is Christ's love for his people, not his people love for Christ or any other human characteristic act or distinctive. It's the big difference with Christianity. Herein is love, not that you love God, I'm quoting the Bible, but that God loved you and gave his son as a propitiation. He took the wrath that you deserve on the cross for you. Two, as a result, 
Christ died for them to atone for their sin and to free them from its power. Point three, therefore, they too died. That's why we baptize people. That's the symbol of baptism. We die in Christ. We rise with Christ. Therefore, they too died to their old way of life. We're going to get that to that in point two. Under the power of sin. So we're dead to the old way of life under the power of sin. Still the presence of sin, not the power. And number four, the consequence of Christ's death for them and their death in Christ is a new life lived out for others. Amen? Amen. Point two, how in the world can we be ministers of reconciliation in a time of great alienation? Well, Christ's new creation defines us. Christ's new creation defines us. What is the new creation? Well, let's read about it in the text and then let's explain it. And then we'll land this service and sermon. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. We sang about that in that song. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Now here we go. Here's the main point of the, of the sermon. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. That is, here's the ministry of reconciliation. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Isn't that amazing? Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. I love it that Seth used that word ambassador. Use that word Seth, ambassadors. Absolutely, it's right from the text. We are ambassadors for Christ. Verse 20, God, God literally, as Seth said, God literally making his appeal through us. Isn't that amazing? We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake. And here's, I think, the number one truth in Christianity. Here's the number one gospel truth for me in my top ten list. For our sake, he made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Mind-blowing. This is called the substitutionary atonement of Christ. It is at the foundation, ground zero of your Christianity. If you're not a Christian, this is at the core of Christianity. And this is what today is being so rejected by pseudo-Christians and false Christians and false apostles who claim somehow that Christ willingly going to the cross because the Father gave him there on the cross to die for our sins, to take our place, to receive the wrath of God, to become sin, my sin that I might become the righteousness of God. This great exchange that took place at the cross where he takes my sin and I receive his righteousness, a foreign righteousness. It's not my righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness. That I is imputed to me, that is um, made, made good to my account, that is put into my bank account, and I had nothing to do with it, that is given to me as a status in law, not guilty, though I am guilty. That righteousness comes from the substitutionary atonement of Christ. And it was brutal, and it was ugly, and it was bloody, and we, we, we celebrated it this morning. His body was crushed. 
His blood was poured out in a real way. He really died. But oh, then he really rose from the dead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To reconcile us to God, but that's not the end. That we might be ministers of reconciliation. That's what it says there. It says, stop living in the old, live in the new, because in the new, you are a minister of reconciliation. Now, what is this old and new? Here's what it means. When Christ came, history divided. When Christ came, boom, he inaugurated the kingdom of God. Everything before Christ is old. Jesus came to replace the old, the old system of sacrifice that the Jews had to atone for sin, the old temple system where that's where you met with God. Jesus is now the sacrifice. Jesus is now the temple where you meet with God. The old is gone. Now we're in the new. This is the age of the Spirit. God gives his Holy Spirit to us because of what Christ has done. So what he's saying to them is the old is gone. The new has come. Stop living in the old. Live in the new. The old age has come, has gone. The new age has come. Live in this age. Live in Christ. Christ inaugurated the kingdom at his, at the, at his coming, his death and resurrection. He will consummate or conclude or, or, or bring the kingdom to full full fruition at his second coming. We live in the in-between time. Theologians have called this the already, not yet. So between his inauguration and his consummation, we are ministers of reconciliation because there's so much alienation. The alienation is ultimately because we're alienated from God, but then we're alienated from one another. So we're ministers of reconciliation now because when Jesus comes, you won't need any more reconciliation. There won't be any more alienation. No more sin. No more tears. No more arguments about stupid things. No more hating each other online. No more bitterness. No more separation in families. Paradise will be restored. But not yet. Not yet. And so God calls you, Christian. God calls you to step up. God calls you to step up. I'm going to read verses 19 and 20 again. Please put those up, Marcos. Verses 19 and 20. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us. Church, we're entrusted with the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be Reconciled to God. What does that look like? What does it look like to be an ambassador for Christ? What does it look like to be a minister of reconciliation? What does it look like not to live in the old man, but in the new man? What does it look like to live as the new creation you are, to be defined by what Christ says you are, not to be defined by what the world says you are, by how you look or what you drive or your job or your bank account or the color of your skin or the language you speak or your political views or your university you graduated from. What does it look like to be defined by the new creation? 
Here's what I think God's saying to you, church. Because at the core of this, at the core of what the new creation is all about in our text is that Jesus became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. I believe it's this, church. We are a generous people. And I believe that generosity is, is, is most vividly seen in this text, and we are a forgiving and merciful people. Because Christ forgave me and was merciful to me, because he became sin, my sin, that I might become the righteousness of God. He's calling us to be generous. And I think specifically, church, and this is for some of you, he's calling you to forgive and be merciful. Isn't it interesting? When Moses said, God, who are you? Can I see your face? He says, I'm not going to show you my face because you'll die. But I'll tell you who I am. I am merciful to whomever I will be merciful. Exodus 33. And then he repeats it in Exodus 34. And then Paul repeats it in in Romans 9. May church, may we be ministers of reconciliation as we're known as a church that is generous. Generous with our affections. Generous with our thoughts. Generous with our money. Generous with our time. But oh, generous with our forgiveness. We don't withhold our affections to those who hurt us. We run toward them. We love our enemies. We do good to those who hurt us. We pray for those who curse us. Oh, it's going to cost us. But nowhere near to what it costs Jesus. Paul ends this text with a warning. In verses 6, verses 1 and 2. Read it with me. Point three, final warning, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Point three, final warning, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Six one, working together with him then, we appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. What he's saying to them, Corinthians, stop being so proud, stop being so arrogant. You are those who have the love of Christ on you. You are those who have the new creation in Christ in you. Stop acting as if you don't. Stop separating from us because you know that we have the gospel. They don't have the gospel. Don't receive the grace of God in vain, Corinthians. But I think he could be speaking to us too today, right? For he says, and now Paul quotes Isaiah 49, 8, a a scripture from the Old Testament, a scripture written to Israel in exile, but promising them restoration, promising them that day of salvation, that restoration that we're talking about here. In a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Church, Here's the appeal. If the love of Christ controls you, then you will be an honest person who has real relationships. Living for Christ rather than living for yourself. Living as one controlled by the love of Christ, not controlled by the love of others for you. And doing, and, and, and doing whatever they say or, or serving self in this direction. And that is, that is being a minister. Trust me, if you go that route, that is a minister of alienation. <laughs> a minister of alienation. But rather living for control by the love of Christ. Because 
I live for him who died for me. Oh, that's a minister of reconciliation. And when we fall into being a minister of alienation, we repent of our foolishness and we do it to the people whom we have alienated. And we say, I'm so sorry. This is who I really am. Can we talk about this? And even showing them your weakness is a doorway to start talking about reconciliation. And for some, that's the first gospel they will have ever seen. And they may ask you, where does that come from? And then you go to Christ on the cross. Here's my question, church. With whom is God calling you to be honest? Second point of application here at the end. If the new creation in Christ uh, defines you, my friend, then you will be a generous person who is willingly and freely forgives others, even as Christ has forgiven you. Here's my question for you. Whom is God calling you to forgive? Or perhaps just show some generosity of spirit, some affection, or something else. You've been stingy with it because they have angered you. And maybe they have rightly sinned against you. Not rightly, but you're right. They have sinned against you. But God is calling you to stop living in the old age, the eye for an eye and the tooth for a tooth age, and live in the new age of the Spirit and of the cross and of a Savior crucified but risen for you and for me. Let's pray as the worship team joins me. Lord, I thank you for your love that you set upon us. I thank you that you died and rose for me to deliver me from what I could never be delivered from. Satan, sin, death, your wrath, your righteous punishment against the wicked, that would be me prior to Christ, every human prior to Christ's mercy. Thank you that you died to set me free from that. And thank you that you died to set me free from the self, from the egotistical self and craving the love of others and being a minister of alienation, sowing discord and alienation and separation everywhere I go, demanding my own way, using people to get things. Jesus, thank you that you've transformed me to someone who would use things to help people. May we be a church that's honest so that we'd have real relationships that are restorative, not fake relationships that are destructive and defrauding. Lord, thank you that you became sin, that I might become the righteousness of God in you. I'll never understand that. I'm so filthy. I know my own sin. I know it better than anybody in this auditorium, anybody. I know what's in my heart. Jesus, you knowing that died for me, took my sin, horrible sin, gave me your righteousness. Lord, I pray that that would transform me, that this new creation would define me, that I would not fall into the trap of being defined by what the world says about me, what other people try to define me as, but I would rest in how you've defined me. And I am, I am now free to be generous 
even to those who are stingy, to be kind to the evil and ungrateful. Oh, Lord, wasn't that me at one point? so hard to be kind to the ungrateful, the rude and the arrogant. But you were kind to me. Help us to be ministers of reconciliation as we are generous and forgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, please, and sing this song. This song is this sermon. Mark, let's put verse 2 up, please. Now, put verse 1 up. What reason have I to doubt? Why would I dwell in fear when all I have known is grace? Listen, if you've known grace, I pray that you would not have known it in vain. My future in Christ is clear. Verse 2, my sins have been paid in full. Yes, they have. There's no condemnation here. Oh, no, it's in Christ. Christ was condemned that we might be accepted and affirmed. I live in the good of this. My Father has brought me near. I'm leaving my fears behind me now. And then the chorus, the old is gone. Yes, it is. The new has come, Christian. And if you're not a Christian, bow your knee, repent, believe in Jesus, and the old will be gone, and the new will appear. You'll be one of God's children. You'll be in the kingdom of God that is eternal. The new will come. I pray that for you. What you complete, Jesus, is completely done. We're heirs with Christ, the victory won. What you complete is completely done. Let's sing that now, Gary. Gary.